Everybody, welcome to the April 22nd, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the big news in the U.S. Treasury this week, announcing that Harriet Tubman will appear on the $20 bill and Alexander Hamilton will remain on the $10 bill. In addition to the backs, in addition, the backs of the $5 and $10 bills will also be altered to honor other historical figures who led both the civil rights and women's suffrage movements. Pat Cahoon from Westward. Uh, this is some big changes we heard from the U.S. Treasury, and I just have one basic question. Did a Broadway show save Alexander Hamilton on the $10 bill? Yes, it did. It definitely <laughs> saved him and won a Pulitzer in the process. So I'm not a huge fan of revisionist history. I think she's a good choice. I think it's great that they're going to put her on the bill. And it led to this hilarious thing a friend of mine overheard, which was someone said, I don't know why they are going to name the $20 bill after the, ch the person who developed the Cherry Creek Shopping Center. And that was Tobman. And so the more history we can remember, if we remember that Harriet Tubman was not a shopping maven, that's good. <laughs> Clearly showcasing the need for uh, greater historical education in Colorado. David Copeland from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, currency changes, uh, is this a big deal for the country? I think so. And as, as Patty said, uh, it can add to education which is sorely needed kudos to the obama administration for being bipartisan and putting a pro-gun republican on the twenty and people who want to learn more about the the great harriet tubman uh... go to davecopel.org and you can read my february article from america's first freedom about her and frederick douglas penfield tate uh... from Q, uh, attorney from qtac rock also a longtime state lawmaker uh... were the right changes made to the right bills uh, you know it, that's difficult to say i i, I think uh... It, it was time for change, and I think it's a great gesture by Treasury and, and the President Obama's administration to, to make these changes, to honor some of these historic figures for all of the reasons uh, that have been mentioned. Um, and who knows, we may see some changes uh, in the years to come with some of our coins as well as um, not just the paper currency. So it, I think it's appropriate to, re to revisit these things every so often, and I'm glad that, that it's been done. And rounding out the panel, Ben Gelt, uh, political consultant, uh, wrap it up for us. I think it's great. You know, you travel around the world and you see countries producing new currency, and I think it's high time for us to make some changes, and having some more diversity uh, represented on our currency is, is a positive one. The Colorado legislature is considering returning to a presidential primary system for both political parties. The proposal currently would allow unaffiliated voters to participate by registering with a party with a 30-day expiration clause. Patty, both parties suffered huge controversial issues with their caucuses this year uh, for various reasons. But is there enough <coughs> momentum to get this bill passed uh, in the limited time left in the legislative session? I think there is, um, because we were talking last week when Donald Trump was calling Colorado's system rigged. It's not rigged. It's just stupid. And there's no reason we shouldn't recognize this stupidity and fix it. N the caucus system, when it was invented in 1912, was lovely, and it's kind of, but it's gone the way of doilies and front parlors. A lot of people cannot go on a, a Tuesday night after working to weigh in on their presidential candidate. And as you see from this campaign, how many people are really, really interested? Why shouldn't people who can't happen to go at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night 
have an opportunity to register their choice, and 37% of Colorado's voters are unaffiliated. Why can't they do it, too? We already allow people to declare parties just for the, primary, the Democratic and Republican state primaries. So why not this? I think it's a smart move. I'd like to see it happen. Um, I would like to not have to hear Donald Trump talk any more about how Colorado is the disgrace of the nation. <laughs> David, what do you think about the idea that would allow unaffiliated voters to register for this 30-day period? Some states do it. Others don't. There's good arguments on both sides. You know, to me, it seems kind of strange that when the synagogue is voting on who they're going to hire for the new rabbi, uh, you say, well, I'm a Presbyterian. I can walk in off the street and say I'm, I'm technically <coughs> Jewish for the next 30 days, and I get to vote on the rabbi. You know, each party could just choose to have its party members uh, select who its nominee will be to be put forward to the, in the general election. I don't think there's good arguments pro and con on both caucuses and primaries. I think they're, they're both good systems with, with advantages, but we should not change it now. First of all, th there's not enough time to fully debate it and consider it. Secondly, lion Donald Trump would treat it as a vindication of his lies. 65,000 Republican voters participated in the caucus, which led to a process which rightly rejected him. And if any changes are made now, he will continue his libels of Colorado uh, and say, see, this proves I was right and Colorado changed as a result. We should absolutely not make any changes which would the rest of the nation might mistakenly purport as vindicating his lies and slanders against Colorado. Penn, we've had a presidential primary before in this state, but the fact of the matter is it costs a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about democracy and people voting, which are all great issues, but at the end of the day, Coloradans, if this gets passed, are going to be paying a lot of money to make this happen, and there are some years that even with it being Democratic and voters, there's not a lot of involvement. Is the price tag going to be the brick wall this proposal heads into? Uh, I don't think so, and prepare yourself. I'm about to agree with David. <laughs> um, Let him sit down. The, the, the fact that the only reason Donald Trump was critical of the Colorado system is because he lost. Had he won, he wouldn't have any criticisms at all to levy about the caucus system. But the reality is this. I like the caucus system. It served a purpose over a period of time, but over the years we've watched it evolve. Um, I used to host caucuses. We used to do them in our living rooms. And then after the ADA, we realized that most homes weren't ADA compliant. You couldn't hold your caucus in a living room or in a home anymore. So most of them got moved to schools and other public buildings. But the reality is, since President Obama's first election to now, what we're seeing is interest has grown in that part of the process so significantly that it probably no longer fulfills the original purpose. It's too cumbersome. It's too awkward. And people show up and they can't figure out what's going on. And the people who organize the caucuses just say, to heck with it. Everybody come on in. Let's get the voting done so you can go home before one in the morning. So we probably need to go to a primary. I've got some reservations about letting unaffiliated voters affiliate at the last minute just to participate in one primary or another. But I think it's the right move to make. And at the end of the day, the cost should be irrelevant. The reality is we're, we're a, a, a democratic form of government, a representative government. We ought to make it easy for people to express their opinions and choices Cost be damned. Ben, as you look at this, is this the right idea but possibly the wrong time, or is it exactly the right time? Well, I think David makes a good point. We don't want to seem reactionary. I think, having said that, though, we did just go through this caucus season. We saw sort of how convoluted it is. 
Um, certainly I can relate from experiences that have been shared with me about how confusing the caucus process is just to be in it. Um, so I think from uh, sort of simplicity's sake, uh, having a primary is much easier. I think that for participants it's easier to just understand you go and you vote and you're done. So I think from that standpoint it makes a ton of sense. I don't know enough about the ins and outs and the logistics of doing it now versus next year. I, I think that there's probably some good logic to waiting until after we get through this presidential season and then putting it in place for the next round of elections. But generally, I do think it's the right idea. And uh, for the record, I'd better think it's a good idea because my father uh, created a Democratic primary in 1992, uh, which we then went away from. So good job, Dad. <laughs> good call. <laughs> the University of Colorado A-Train officially begins service the airport today, finally connecting DIA to the light rail system in the metro area. The standard fare of $9 has made some wonder about how many travelers will take advantage of the new service. David, $9, uh, I think, even though that was pretty close to what the Skyride used to be as a bus service, when you compare it to other major cities, uh, is quite high. I've been to Atlanta recently. That was 250 to get from the airport to downtown. Uh, Boston's less than $3. Chicago's less than $3. Will the fare become a bigger problem? No, I think that the fare is better in Denver because it comes closer to covering the cost of, of the trip. It's not fair that in Atlanta or Boston, if you're somebody who never flies, your taxes end up getting used to heavily subsidize people who do. Uh, and in all mass transit, everybody is a free rider to some extent and getting fares are subsidized. I mean, even the $9 doesn't come close to the actual costs. I think it's ridiculous that the University of Colorado has a million dollars to spend on naming this thing after itself. First of all... Yeah, five million. Five. Yeah, I mean, right, about a million per year. I'll get you. So, sure. so don't come crying to me for donations <laughs> or more tax money. And I know it's, oh, this wasn't tax money. We're spending whatever. If you got that much money lying around, you, you don't need any more from anybody else. And it's really wrong to call that DIA to downtown Denver thing the University of Colorado thing because, you know, we know, we understand that it's, that it's just a branding thing, but we're going to have out-of-town visitors. Imagine some guy coming in from Japan with, you know, minimal English skills, and he sees, you know, oh, you know train University of Colorado. Right. He's going to think he's going to go to the University of Colorado. It's really recklessly misleading uh, to our visitors, especially uh, foreign guests with limited English skills. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue very easily either, as I, you saw me attest to as I read the topic. Uh, Penn, we have been waiting years for a train or some sort of uh, uh, effective mass transit from the airport to Denver, uh, to downtown Denver, and we finally have it. Was it done the right way? Time will tell. I, I think so, but I'm not certain. The fare is a concern to me also. I think the fare is too high. Um, particularly if your your intent is to entice families or travelers to get on the train at the airport and take it into downtown because once you get here and, I mean imagine a family of four with luggage and everything our you know in town infrastructure is not that great um, in terms of getting then from Union Station to wherever you want to go and nine bucks seems to be a lot to pay just for the first leg of the journey and not to get to your ultimate destination. 
Secondly, I have always wondered um, whether in Denver's market this sort of airport train is going to be viable at the end of the day, whether we have enough business travelers to sustain it. And third, you know, the primary commuters to the airport were the workers, and with the buses gone, I don't know how many of them now want to pay, you know, 18 bucks round trip to get to and from the airport uh, to work. Um, that seems to be a pretty hefty increase. Um, and, and finally, you know, one of the, the issues, uh, and I'm glad we have mass transit, don't get me wrong, but what we've seen in city after city time and time again, Washington, D.C. is the best example. They started with the metro system that just got people from the suburbs into town and out again and realized that it was detrimental to the core of the city, that you needed to move people around in the city. And unfortunately, we may be replicating that model here. You can get from Aurora to Arvada, but you can't get to City Hall or the state capitol on light rail. Ben, uh, like Penn, I looked at the fare structure, and as a guy who lives south of town, I'm pretty happy. I could jump on light rail uh, <clears throat> down in Mineral and Santa Fe for $9 and get to the airport. Or if I had a friend, though, who lives in Green Valley Ranch mm -hmm. and wants to work there, they have to pay the exact same price. That, that seems a little unfair. Do you think it's going to be reconsidered in the future? Well, I think there's going to continue to be a lot of scrutiny and talk about unfair. Uh, RTD was pretty heavily criticized as, uh, for having their entire fare structure be unfair. They recently did a, a, a rake height. I think that the price to get to the airport is exceptionally high. Um, certainly there's some subsidy involved, but all the people sitting in their cars in traffic are heavily, heavily subsidized. We don't pay nearly the cost of gasoline or the cost that it actually uh, that actually exists with using roads and things. So I'm totally comfortable with the subsidy. You know, when you look at what's going on here, you, you asked, was it done the right way? On the one hand, we have an airport that's out there and we have a city that's over here, so we had to do something to connect it. They took the path of least resistance for how they did that. The real question will be, are they going to focus on airport city and develop within the footprint of the airport, or is the mayor going to continue to put the, push this nonsensical aerotropolis and try and build another sort of suburban mess around the airport? If we develop wisely and use the footprint of the airport, there can be a lot of good that comes out of the rail line that goes out there. It's not just for uh, the people moving back and forth. There's a lot of utility. But if we don't do things the right way, there's going to be sprawl, there's going to be more congestion, there's going to be underuse of the train, and it could be seriously detrimental. So this notion that it's a panacea or somehow makes Denver a world-class city is laughable. Uh, it's an improvement, but it's incremental at best. Patty, as you look back at April 22nd, 2016, the, the A train arrives to Denver. A banner day or some work left to be done? Please, the University of Colorado A-Line. My apologies. You know, what was hilarious is this week we got a reminder that you were supposed to refer to it as the University of Colorado A-Line sent to the media. And we all know how many sponsors would love to have their names mentioned before the Rock and Roll Marathon or Mile High Stadium, but um, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. So that came out, and then the next day we start hearing all the grumbling because $5 million is a lot to brand something with a very misleading name. Other than that, I think the train, great that it's going. Any traveler who's come into Den flown into Denver and is on their way to downtown for business and suddenly is paying a fare that's more than they're going to pay in San Francisco or more than they're going to pay in New York for that cab, that's been sticker shock for a lot of people. So I think that'll work really well for downtown travelers, uh, travelers to downtown. 
I'm planning, I can walk there, taking care of it. The problem is parking is going to be a mess for anybody who tries to take the train. I don't think the price is that bad, considering it is just the start of all the amount of money you have to pay. If a family of four really wants to take the train, I think they might be nuts because you've got to take all the luggage, you've got to do the transfers. You're going to be cheaper driving out and parking. And parking will still be an issue, especially as employees now wind up having to drive out there again. State Senator Pat Stedman is among the lawmakers attempting to work out a compromise that would avoid liquor sales ballot issues on this year's election. The current bill would limit one liquor license every 2,500 feet, so if a grocery store wanted to sell hard liquor, it would need to purchase an existing license near its location. Ben, with this many days left in the legislative session, can this compromise get done? Uh Logistically, yes, it can get done. Politically, will it get done? I don't think so. This battle's been raging for the better part of 20, 25 years, um, and it will continue. Um, and I don't know if the ballot proposals are going to solve the issue um, f with any sense of finality, because I suspect, regardless of what happens with the ballot proposals, there's going to be a push to put some legislation uh, next session anyway. I applaud Pat Stedman for trying this. I think it's the right way to go. I just don't know if there's the political will to compromise at this point. Both sides feel that they can get where they want to go with, with different ballot proposals, and they may not see any incentive uh, to compromise. It's sort of the whole thing we saw with um, the fracking debate. Uh, you know, there were, there were always efforts, and, and often they, they fell short. But um, I, I think Pat's doing the right thing, trying to get the compromise done. Uh, it, and it's, it's not an unreasonable approach. I just don't know if the political will is there to do it. Ben, what do you think? I think Penn makes a good point about the, the fracking compromise. That seemed to be a little bit more urgent. And frankly, politicians were worried about its effect on the rest of the ballot. Sure. I don't know if people are that worried about the rest of the ballot on these particular ballot issues or if the players, like uh, craft beer sellers, are motivated to compromise. What do you think? Well, I think, as Penn pointed out, that the sides are fairly entrenched and that the compromise may make sense because it, it makes both sides a little bit unhappy, uh, but because they have alternative solutions sort of uh, present, they may just choose to not compromise. I mean, there's a lot that's sort of behind this. I, I think the comparison to fracking is, is meaningful. The difference being that fracking has, I think, a, a higher pitched debate surrounding it, whereas this is not something that's necessarily top of mind for most consumers or or voters. So I, I don't think we'll see the compromise. I think we'll see the ballot language. And I think that for the most part, consumers don't really care. I don't think that, you know, too many people in the state are experiencing some problem with access to alcohol. So uh, I suspect there'll be no compromise and we'll see these things on the ballot. Patty, as you look at the different players involved, uh, do you think they would they prefer to see something go to the ballot rather than see a compromise get done to legislature? Well, they prefer, prefer to see something go to the ballot if they win, and that's <laughs> going to be the big issue. So you've got, and for the voters, it's really a matter of, okay, do we really care about the convenience of being able to go to a grocery store and get full-strength beer and wine and mm. maybe liquor? I mean, so that's, that's in play. Or do we care more about the complaints that mom and pop was places will go out, it'll really affect craft brewers, and it's, I don't think people have really polled the citizens of Colorado that much on how much they care, but clearly the players really care, I mean the grocery stores really care, they poured in a lot of money, this would make them a lot of money. Craft brewers really care because they've created an incredible industry here in Colorado, but if they lose the shelf space they have at some of those boutique dedicated mom and pop places, that'll affect them. So. 
I think we'll see some of this on the ballot, along with we'll probably have a caucus vote on the ballot. We're going to have more fracking stuff on the ballot. It's going to be a very, very long November 8th. <laughs> David, Pat Stemming came out and said he wanted to push this compromise to protect mom and pop types of stores from being crushed. If the ballot issues go the way I guess he's fearing, are mom and pop store, liquor stores really at risk? Oh, sure. And like lots of other small businesses, and you can change from a world where you have families owning their own business to a lot of them being wiped out and some of them get a job and they can be an assistant manager for you know megacorp and you know you can draw the charts and see why that's more economically efficient but man doesn't live by bread alone and there is social efficiency as well and it is a better society when you have more people who can be their own small business owners instead of uh, working for mister slate uh... in, in some megacorporation an excellent Flintstones reference, by the way. I love that. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The Denver City Council gave initial approval to an updated moratorium on new marijuana businesses this week. The amended proposal would allow the 45 applicants that are currently in the pipeline to move forward in the process. Uh, ben, your quick take on this issue. Does the, do you think the marijuana industry is going to take this uh, new issue from the, Dem from the Denver City Council? Take it? I mean, they're going to have to take what they get. So... Um, <laughs> You know, I, it's interesting watching this unfold. There are people in the industry on both sides of it. The, the bigger push from the folks opposing the moratorium are people looking to get in. The, you know, people that have really uh, sort of pushed to have a moratorium are the folks that already have an interest. Um, that's not 100% true. I, I think that there's a, there's a lot of uh, unintended consequences here with having the moratorium. There, there's some you limit the ability of, of certain people to come into the industry. So it's a complex issue. I think largely, though, the city should back off and let the market mature and, and sort itself out. Patty, this was a pretty heavily amended proposal. Uh, did the council make the right move? Well, they're making the right move by pushing it forward instead of just automatically extending the moratorium again, which they could have done. And now with this proposal, they are going to let people who've got applications in the hopper continue through, which is only fair. So. This might be, the industry is changing so fast, it's not inconceivable that we'll be amending this again over and over, but this looks like a good compromise for now. David, one of the big parts of the compromise was a limitation of bringing, eventually bringing down grow houses in addition to how it's handling businesses. Uh, do you think that was okay to be limiting something that's probably an industry, part of the pun, that's going to continue to grow? Yes, because that, that's why Colorado voters a approve the constitutional amendment for, for marijuana, is because the amendment in its own terms says, yes, this absolutely can be regulated. It's going to be regulated, if people want to, much, much more than ordinary businesses are. So Denver's doing the right thing if it's responding to the will of the people for how they want the various neighborhood zoning to happen. And as, as Patty said, they did the fair thing also by letting the people who applied under the old system uh, continue based on the, the investments they've already made. Penn, Natasha Gardner was here last week, and I think she did the math that there was believe it or not, 420 marijuana businesses in, uh, I think it was, it was Denver, as yeah. you said? Yes, yeah, Denver. So this would be uh, allowing the other 45 applicants to move forward if they, uh, let, let's say, almost all went through. It's about a 10% increase. Did the council strike the right compromise by allowing it to happen? 
I don't know if they struck the right compromise, but I think it's it's a decision they're they're empowered to make because the citizens of Denver have said we want this industry to exist in the city, but we do want it regulated and monitored and controlled to some extent. Um, normally, um, I suspect David and I might agree in terms of artificial constraints on a particular industry or business, but this business and industry was created with the understanding expressly that there would be some unique constraints and restrictions on it and so I think the city council should be responsive to neighborhoods in the community um, and as Patty said they're going to get some feedback over time and they'll probably be amending this again. Well, let's get to our favorite part of the show Disgrace of the Week and as always Patty start us off. Well Douglas County shut down Grace Davies a 15 year old who wanted to have a protest so rather than a recall now which people are pushing for because of how she was treated I would just suggest maybe the Douglas County School Board needs a a refresher course in First Amendment rights. David. The Climate Accountability Institute in Aspen, which reporting has exposed, is at the center of this anti-civil rights conspiracy to persecute people who don't agree with global warming hysteria, as the uh, one of our sister think tanks in D.C., the Competitive Enterprise Institute, currently being persecuted. I'm not a climatologist, but nor am I an, an astronomer, but I know that when the Galileo was persecuted uh, for his scientific dissident views. It weakened the credibility of people who disagreed with him. And when the hysterics persecute scientists for disagreeing with them, that tells me that their scientific case for hysteria is pretty weak. Penn. Uh, we have over time been critical of police departments using excessive force, but this time um, we need to support the police department. I'm referring to the instance of the driver who was the subject of a lawful um, stop, and rather than take his medicine and get his ticket or citation or whatever, drives off and drags a police officer down the street. We ought to condemn that just as vocally as we've condemned excessive force cases by the police. Ben. How about the uh, DPS uh, school board electing uh, a replacement for the replacement and it's sort of uh, as quietly as possible. They're calling a press conference for 3 p.m. on Friday to make the new announcement conveniently after the Sunday paper is put to bed. It's always a prime time for yeah, a great time perfect. press releases for that. Let's get to see something nice about somebody. Patty? It is a great weekend to get out and about in Denver. You've got doors open in Denver with many architectural places you can visit on Saturday and Sunday. And there are parties all day along the University of Colorado A-Line at the <laughs> six stops between DIA and uh, this Union Station. David. Professional rugby debuted nationally uh, in Colorado and Denver in Glendale with the game of Denver versus Ohio last Sunday and Denver's newest sports star Will McGee won the game with a kick in overtime. Very nice. Penn. Well, he sometimes made us cry, he sometimes made us laugh and dance, often at the same time, but the tragic and, and very premature loss, the Purple Rain has ended, um, the death of Prince, someone who's been a fixture in the entertainment and music scene since the 70s, uh, will be greatly missed. Um, and rightfully so. A, a true artist and musician in these days of recording specialist uh, who can't play any <laughs> instruments or do much of anything else except holler into a microphone. Here, here. Ben. Uh, how about our colleague Patty Calhoun and her cover story of Westward highlighting the hateful eight, the eight worst buildings in Denver. And uh, for those of you who go out and read it, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. <laughs> That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.